Growing your business is tough, but don't worry, we've got you covered. We interview industry experts on how they've solved their most challenging business problems in SaaS or e-commerce. No fluff, just step-by-step playbooks to help you dominate your market and crush the competition. This is the How We Solve podcast. Here's your host. Today I'm talking to April Dunford, a positioning consultant, keynote speaker, and the author of the book, Obviously Awesome. April provides training and workshops for B2B tech companies globally, and she has solved a problem that a lot of people struggle with. I personally have struggled with it for pretty much my entire career. And I think if you don't solve this properly, you don't have tailwinds. It's going to be really an uphill battle. April, welcome, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. So which problem are we solving today? Well, I guess we're talking about positioning. That's kind of my jam. I don't talk about much more than positioning. There's, there's not a lot of things that I know a lot about, but positioning is one thing I know an awful lot about. Perfect. This is absolutely great. I'm, I'm looking for, I, I meet you at a lot of conferences and I always enjoy chatting with you about positioning. And I'm looking too forward to learning even more about this. So can you give me your elevator pitch on what your company does? Yeah, so so I'm a consultant and I'm I'm small by design, so I don't work with everybody. I'm a bit picky about it. So I work specifically with technology companies, mainly startups that are kind of in a growth phase. So they've got some initial traction, but they want to scale and get bigger. And so the work that I do helps them communicate and sell the product that they have so that customers understand why it's so awesome and why they should pay attention to it and why they should buy it. And at which stage, uh, you already mentioned, like, this is like based on revenue or employee size or kind of where do you put that mark on? Yeah, it's interesting for, you know, in order for us to, to work on tightening up the positioning, there needs to be enough traction that we can see a pattern in what kind of customers love your stuff and why. So if the product hasn't been released yet, you will have to position it in the market, but your positioning is kind of a guess. It's more like a positioning theory. And so you put it out in the market and you see like who likes your stuff, who buys you, who says no. Um, generally, products tend to go through a bit of iteration when they first get out in the market. So a little bit of, oh, people love this part of it, but they don't love this part of it. And then you adjust it and then you try to sell some more. So we need to be a bit past that. But how far past that kind of depends on the size of the deals you're doing and how many customers you've got really. So it's not so much employee size. It's more about how much experience do you have with the market? I can't really put a revenue number on it because sometimes you have companies and they're, they're selling these giant deals. And so, you know, I recently worked with a company that had 30 million revenue, but they only had five customers. (laughs) Their deals are gigantic. And so, and I wasn't actually quite sure if they were ready to go or not, even though their revenue is spectacular. But I've had other companies where they have many, many customers, you know, they're doing less than a million revenue, but they certainly understand who loves their stuff and why. So they're a good fit for me. I don't work with consumer products, mainly because my background is... Uh, working at B2B tech startups. So I prefer working with companies that are selling stuff to businesses. And that's for a number of reasons. One, I'm comfortable there. Two, they tend to have salespeople involved. And if there's salespeople involved, then the company tends to be quite smart about what are the stages that a customer goes through 
making a purchase? Uh, who else is the customer comparing them to? Why did you win the deal? Why did you lose the deal? If there's a salesperson involved through that, then they know a lot more about that. On the consumer side, you know, a lot of that stuff happens, but you're going to have to do some serious customer research to get that out of customers. For startups that are selling to businesses, generally people on the team know bits and pieces of it, and it's a matter of getting the right people on the team together so I can tease it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. I'm also way more comfortable in the B2B space. Mm. Cool. So a little bit of backstory, just really quick. When did you start tackling this problem? Yeah, so positioning is a funny thing. So, you know, I used to work as kind of a repeat vice president of marketing at startups. And so I I worked at seven different startups in a variety of roles, but most of the time I was I was running marketing. And early in my career, I spent a lot of time learning about marketing because, you know, my background was engineering. And um, so I read a lot of books and I took a lot of courses. And I got really interested in this idea of positioning as kind of the underlying foundation of everything we do in marketing. So if you think about it, you know, we're going to make a campaign, we're going to do, we're going to run some advertising, we're going to build some content. We have to kind of make a bunch of decisions before we can do the tactical stuff. We need to know who it is that we're selling to. We need to understand what our unique value is. We need to understand how that's different and better than the competitors. So we need to understand who the competitive comparables are. All that stuff gets defined in your positioning. But the thing that really vexed me is, you know, I the more I understood about this, the more I was kind of driven a little bit crazy by the fact that we didn't have a methodology for doing positioning. So you know, there was a book that everybody read called Positioning the Battle for Your Mind uh, by Reason Trout. Everybody reads this book, and it's these are the people that invented the concept of positioning. It's a very good book. It tells you exactly what positioning is, but it does not give you a methodology for doing it. What you were supposed to do is just call them. <laughs> they ran an agency, we, and you were, supposed, you were supposed to call we, them. We actually, them. we actually did this with Maxidia, and we, we had a call with them to, to work on our positioning. Amazing. This was very helpful. Oh, well, I can imagine, right? They're probably the best in the world at this. My problem is that, you know, I read the book. I, I you know, I got the religion. I'm like, I get it. I love it. It's amazing. But, but then I was working at a tiny, tiny little startup. We couldn't afford those guys. We couldn't afford anybody outside. I wanted to know how to do it myself inside. And so that frustrated me. And um, I slowly started building my own methodology for doing it as a person very specifically inside these growth stage tech companies. So after years and years of doing it myself, I kind of said, you know, I have a methodology. I know how to do this. First, I used it myself. Then I started teaching it at a local startup incubator. And then I started doing more conference talks on it and trying to teach other people. After a while, not only did I have a methodology, I had a way to kind of teach you how to do it. And, you know, and then eventually I wrote a book and that's the book that I have now. And now if you're like I was 20 years ago and running marketing at a startup, you can actually read this book and it'll tell you how to do it. And um, actually, I can really relate to I'm very happy you came up with this methodology. And we were fortunate enough or profitable enough that we could afford them back then at MaxADN. But this is um, also why I started this podcast because I want to talk to experts like yourself that break down how something is done, how hard business problems are solved. So let's get into it. How do you solve your positioning? Can you give us like a bullet point actionable way of 
getting so, this done. So here, here's kind of how I came up with it, which is important. So, you know, when I looked at positioning, I, I figured I could break positioning down into component pieces. And the component pieces are market category, competitive alternatives, unique features, value that you can deliver to customers, and which customers are you trying to sell to? So these are the five common characteristics of positioning. So my thinking was, I'll break positioning down into pieces. I'll figure out a methodology to get the right answer for each of the pieces. I'll figure out how you smash them together and voila, perfect positioning. That was my idea. But then when you start looking at it, you realize that the component pieces each have a relationship to each other. So if I pick something like value, the unique value that I can deliver to customers is completely dependent on my unique features. But my unique features are only unique when I compare them to a competitive alternative. And then similarly, like, who's my target market? Well, my target market, these are the people that care the most about the value I can deliver. And then what's my market category? My market category is the best context I can wrap around my offering that makes this value obvious to these people. So it, it occurred to me that you have to actually work through them in a certain order. Otherwise, what you get to isn't differentiated and, and, and isn't going to be the best it can be. And so having done this a number of times, it occurred to me that we actually have to start by making sure we're making the right comparison, which is another way of saying we need to understand our competitive alternatives. And how we figure that out is we essentially look to our best customers, like our customers that love us the most, our customers that don't churn on us, our customers that use the product in the way it was intended and refer you to other people. If you go to just those customers and you say, gosh, I wish all my customers looked like you. <laughs> and so I want to have positioning that attracts customers like you. Then you go to those customers and you say, okay, for you, if we didn't exist, how would you solve this problem? And that's going to get you to your true competitive alternatives. It might be other software that looks like your stuff, or it might be things like, you know, if you weren't here, I would just hire an intern to do it, or I would just do this on a spreadsheet or something like that. So you need to understand your true competitive alternatives. Once you have that, then you can say, okay, compared to that or those things, what do I have features and capability wise that the alternative does not and then, you know, and usually that kind of, you end up with a great big long list of things. And then you need to do an exercise where you say, okay, these are all my features, but so what for customers? So how do those features actually translate into value for your customers? And when you do that mapping, what usually happens is you have two or three value themes or value buckets. And that, and that is essentially forms the basis of your value proposition for your customers. Excuse me, do you have like maybe um, a framework or a template or an Excel or Google spreadsheet on how you, how people do this? What's the best way of doing this? Like kind of, yeah, so I have, so in the book, it yeah, in the book, it maps it, it maps it out over 10 steps, but in the, um, I also have a set of templates. And so one of the templates is kind of a, a one page uh, positioning canvas where you can kind of capture this stuff. So, I, will, I will see see if you can share this with us so we can share this with, with the sure. audience. This will be really awesome. Yeah. And so once you, once you understand what your value is, then you can say, okay, this is the value we deliver. That's going to help you determine who your target customers are. Because 
the value is probably interesting to lots and lots of different kinds of customers, but there are certain prospects that really, really care a lot about your value and you need to answer the question why. So it could be because they're a certain size. It could be because they use other technology. It could be because of their business model. It could be a number of things. And you need to get as much detail around that as possible, which is essentially your customer segmentation. So, you know, these are the people that really, really care a lot about your value. That's your customer segmentation. And then the last bit is this market category thing. So if this is my value, if these are the people I'm trying to communicate that to, what is the best market for me to position my offering in? Meaning, what's the best context I can put around this offering so that that value is obvious to these customers? And then An the last bit what is, this would be? Uh, so in, in, uh, in my own experience, so I'll, I'll give you a couple examples. So when I worked at um, a database company, super early in my career, actually my first job in marketing, and we had this little database product. And what it was, was a personal use database that could run SQL. Now this was years ago. And at the time, if you wanted to run an SQL database, you had to run it on a server because it took all kinds of storage and memory. It was really hard to install. And so you would install it on a server. And if you wanted to do some analysis on data on just a PC or your laptop, you did that with Excel or you did that with this thing called Microsoft Access. So we were going to be like Microsoft Access, except a proper database with structured query language. So we released this thing and we thought, oh, every, you know, geeky people like us are going to love this thing. But then we put it out in the market and nobody wanted one. Like it was just, we sold none, like none, none. And so, you know, and so, so we tried marketing it for a couple of months and it didn't go very well. And so eventually we thought we would just turn it off. Like we would just stop supporting it. Like we had another product that was doing really well. This was kind of not doing so well. So we thought we're just going to can the product. So I went and called all the customers and the reason I called them is I wanted to see who was actually using it that might be mad when we turned it off. <laughs> and so I called everybody and there was about a hundred customers and of that hundred, six were actually going to care if I turned it off. And interestingly, all six of them were doing this weird thing with the product. <laughs> so they were actually using it on a laptop and using it to sync back to a database they had at headquarters. And they weren't doing analysis on data at all. They were using it for things like taking sales orders in the field. So I had people say, oh, yes, this is great. I can do it on my laptop. Take the order in the field. And, and before, what we did was we had the salespeople had to go back to the office and take the order, and they made all kinds of mistakes and whatever. So this bit of insight, we thought, hmm, maybe we could reposition this thing as an embeddable database for laptops or other mobile devices. And so we repositioned it that way. So we, instead of being a personal use SQL database that competes with access and spreadsheets, mm -hmm. we became a, an embeddable database for mobile devices, which competes with homegrown stuff. Like back then, there was nothing else you could put on a mobile device that would fit. And that completely changed our go-to-market. It completely changed the way we sold. It completely changed our pricing. It also completely changed our business. Like people loved it. We sold all kinds of it. 
mobile devices were exploding. We were the right product at the right time. And our company eventually got acquired, not for the popular product. We were kind of the dud product. But then the thing grew so fast after we almost killed it that we ended up getting acquired because of this product. And it was so successful and continued to grow. And after we were acquired, that product continued to grow and went on to be a billion-dollar business unit. That's awesome. And we almost killed it. How did you, did you run this in parallel? So just like run marketing campaigns targeted towards this audience that was using it in the, in this freak accident type of way. And well, did you no. have like the main product still running aside from it? Or did you convince the leadership team to like, Hey, let's kill the main thing. Let's focus on this weird thing. Cause I'm very curious, like how this is. Yeah. So, well, yes. Yeah. So, so the main thing, so it turned out that the, the main thing, the main product was, was a compiler. And the compiler business had always been good, but it wasn't a rocket ship to the moon. You know, it was just the thing that where we always made money. So we were looking for something that would grow faster than that. And then we repositioned this thing and it started to grow really, really quickly. And we didn't take things away from what was the main product, the compiler business, but we certainly added things to the database business as it was getting bigger and better and more exciting. And eventually we ended up getting acquired and the, they, the acquiring company shut down the compiler business because <laughs> <laughs> we weren't winning in the market. We were actually getting, we were actually getting creamed by Microsoft at the time. But um, I think that's, so the new, that, that's an, yeah. you know, as I mentioned, positioning is such a tough thing to do. Like, you know, I was, I was in the shoes of being the founder and then kind of having a few things that are working well, but also you kind of have or new things that are growing fast versus also having the traditional business. And it's a really tough call to, you know, have the oh, guts yeah. to say like, okay, I'm going to cut this, you know, so that's, this, this is why I think positioning is such a hard thing, you know, to actually. Well, I think, I think it takes a lot of guts. Like, I, you know, I think it's, you know, even if you think about what we did with that database product, it, you know, we were taking a bit of a flyer on it. Everybody, we had all decided the thing was a failure. And so the idea was, well, let's just, let's just kill it. We've got too many people working on it. We're running out of money. You know, we don't like, and it had, if we didn't have some signal, which in this case was only six customers, but we had a little bit of signal that maybe we had something there. And so then we thought, okay, well, let's just run an experiment. Let's reposition it. Let's run a sales campaign. We'll run it for a few months. We'll see if we get any traction on it. If it does, great, we'll keep going. If we don't, we'll kill it. And luckily we did. And so we just kept on going. I've had other ones where we've, we've been repositioning the main product and that feels way more scary because you've got something that's in the market and even if it's not doing so well, there's this fear that you might kill the little bit of success that you have by trying to chase something bigger. And that takes a ton of guts. Mm, yeah. <laughs> been there. Cool. So, um, and then once you've, I guess, figured this out is like, um, in terms of communication, do you also cover this on how to then communicate the position yeah. that you have come up with? Yeah. So there's a, there's a handful of things you need to do. So, so one, you should test it. So it goes without saying that just because you've gone in the room and you went through the process doesn't mean you got it right. And so for me, the easiest way that I found to test it again, if I've got salespeople and we're selling to businesses, the easiest way to test it is to, build a new sales deck that encapsulates the new positioning. Take your best salesperson, so your person 
person that knows the product well, is, is a good salesperson, does a good job of sales pitches, teach them the new sales pitch, and then go out and pitch some brand new prospects, not your existing customers, because they've already been polluted with the old positioning, mm. but new prospects that have never heard of you before, and this is a first meeting, go out and try the new positioning on them, and then ask your salesperson, was that better or worse? Because the salesperson will know, and a good salesperson, if the new positioning is better, a good salesperson will say, this is better, and you can't take this pitch away from me. <laughs> I'm using this one from now on because this is better. But if the salesperson comes back and says, no, nah, I think I kind of like the old pitch better, then you missed it. Then it's no good. And, but if you get the signal that your good salesperson comes back and says, no, this is way better, then you can make the investment in, okay, I'm going to adjust the messaging. I'm going to go and look at my campaigns and make sure they're focused on the right people and start working on the rest of your go-to-market and other things that the, that the positioning impacts. And so part of how you communicate the new positioning is you're going to go rework the messaging. And generally, I recommend that you build a messaging document. And in that messaging document, it would explain you know, here's the positioning. So here's what our actual competitive comparables are. Here are the features we have that are different. Here's how that translates into value. Therefore, here's our target customer. Therefore, this is how we got to the market category we're in. And then you would translate that into messaging, which describes these are our key points of value. These are, these are how we talk about the features that deliver that value. Here's how we handle common objections, things like that. How do you come up with this aside from, I mean, you can, of course you can do it yourself, but kind of using like Gartner researchers or talking to like cold outreach or like how do you get this intel on your competitors and, and what they do? Yeah. So see that piece of it is super, super important because it's, it's the starting point, right? So the starting point of the whole positioning process is looking at your competitive comparables. Now, the problem with going to Gartner Group or just doing your own competitive research is it will give you some candidate competitors for sure. And you'll probably come up with a giant long list of competitors. But the only competitors that really matter are the competitors that your best customers or to replace think you about. With. Right. Mm, okay. Yeah, makes, makes a little and sense. And so you actually, you actually have to start there. Now, it doesn't um, mean you ignore the Gartner reports and you ignore what's happening because sometimes reading that stuff will give you some early warning that there's a train coming down the track and maybe your customers haven't seen it yet, but there is a potential threat here and you need to be ready for it. But, you know, in terms of working on your positioning, what you're actually trying to do is position yourself so that you can attract more customers that look like your best fit customers. And so in order to do that, you have to win their comparison. And if their comparison is, hey, look, man, it's you versus Excel, then the only competitor you worry about is Excel. Excel yeah. <laughs> and it's really easy to get distracted by these flashy competitors that may compete in other places in the market. They're just not in your patch. Very interesting. And in terms of when you work with your best customers, but also like kind of, I mean, it's, maybe that's general marketing, but... It also, I guess it matters where you, where you have acquired these customers, these customers that love your product. Do you kind of take this in consideration as well, where they're originally coming from or? Well, yeah. So on? when you, when you get to the, when you get to the piece of the positioning puzzle where you're trying to figure out 
who are the customers that will love our stuff the most? What you're doing is you're trying to come up with characteristics of, of an account that would make them a really good fit for what you do. So for example, if I go back to my database example, so we're, we were positioning this thing as embeddable database for mobile devices. And the most common use case was you had a big sales team on the road and you wanted to be able to put this database on a laptop so they could go take orders in the field. So lots of people have salespeople that are out on the road and I could sell to any of them. But really, if you just had a couple of salespeople on the road and they took like one order, then you wouldn't, you know, it doesn't matter all that much. But if you had like more than a thousand salespeople on the road and those salespeople were taking hundreds and hundreds of orders, then you really need this thing. And so that's part of how we figured out, well, who should we be selling to? And then we say, okay, we're trying to sell to large enterprises that are selling essentially low priced B2B things face-to-face on the road. And once we got our heads around that, then we were like, okay, we can make a list of big companies that do that. And then here's how we're going to go get them. So our entire marketing campaign planning and go-to-market planning was based around that segmentation. It wasn't, you know, we weren't sitting around going, should we run Facebook ads or should we, you know, you know, marketing channels? We were thinking about where are these people? How, when, what's the easiest way for us to get in front of them? So once we had the segmentation, we could figure that out and say, okay, we're going after very, very large enterprises we're probably selling to the to a combination of the head of IT and the head of sales. And so where do we find them? And and in our case, it was we were doing a bunch of very targeted account-based marketing. There were a handful of trade shows we were going to where they were talking about that stuff. Uh, we spent a lot of time working with Gartner Group because they had relationships with all of these customers and were making technology recommendations to them. So we had to influence them. So all of our go-to-market activity was was based on, you know, what's the easiest way to get at these customers. Very cool. So this is basically how you put your positioning into play then. Yes. Very cool. Um, are there any books, aside from your book, of course, and resources that you recommend that people <laughs> that are currently in the battle of coming up with their positioning and yeah, uh, maybe well, another tips for, to I work st- with you? Yeah. So I I still recommend that people read the Reason Trout book, Positioning the Battle for Your Mind, because it it is the classic. I mean, you should read it. Don't expect them to tell you how to do the stuff, but it is good if you just want to deepen your understanding of positioning. I think that's pretty good. And then, um, you know, one of the books, there there were a couple of books that that influenced my thinking on this stuff a lot. Um, One of them was um, Four Steps to the Epiphany, uh, mm-hmm. which was which was kind of the book that came before lean startup and i thought that was a good book to read and then and then the other the other books that gave me a bit of a breakthrough and and i have him on the brain because i was just speaking at a conference with him last week was bob mesta bob mesta's jobs to be done stuff was mm-hmm. pretty influential on my thinking as well it was, for a long time i wasn't really sure what the starting point of positioning should be and once I got my head around this idea of jobs theory, then I was like, yeah, you know, this is it, what really matters is the job that the customer is trying to do. But from a marketing perspective, I can't necessarily market that job because the customer doesn't always articulate it that way. But the way the customer would, would 
articulate it to me is, look, if you folks didn't exist, I would use these kind of mm. things to solve that problem, which is kind of the same way as, you know, indirectly asking them what's, what the job is. So that kind of got me thinking about that. So those two books influenced my thinking on this a lot. So kind of like the, the NPS question of positioning, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's a little bit, right? Like a little bit. It's like, well, we, you know, if we weren't here, what would you do? It tells you a lot about how your customer is categorizing what you do. Mm, I love it. Perfect. My personal question is I always ask all of my guests is, do you have a personal mission statement? Yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I have a personal mission statement, but I do sort of have a, a, a mantra, I guess, at this stage. Of my, so at this stage of my career, you know, I've been doing this stuff for a long time. And the, the first phase of my career was just, you know, me trying to be a great vice president of marketing. And then the second phase of my career was I, I was a great pres- vice president of marketing. At least I thought I was. And then I was trying to work at better companies and do bigger things and whatever. And now I'm at this phase of my career where I'm like, I don't actually want to work inside companies anymore. Like, and so I've switched to consulting and I'm, I'm in the phase where I think I've become more of a teacher than a, than a, than a doer in some ways. And so my whole sort of, you know, guiding North star is I want to do good work with good people and that's it. Good work, good people. people. (laughs) And so I'm I'm super. And so I only do positioning work because I feel like this is really my sweet spot. I love this work. I think it's super challenging and amazing and it's so fun to unlock it. Plus I think I'm really good at it. So, you know, if, if people are going to hire me for something, they're going to get great value. I'm going to do this great thing that I love to do. And then because I'm so specialized, I get to be a bit picky about who I work with. And, you know, in startups, you you work with lots of different personalities. And I'm at the phase of my career where I'm like, you know, we we all got to get along and enjoy the time we spend together. So I don't, I don't work with any jerks. Oh yeah. (laughs) Very important. (laughs) So your, your, your mantra sounds like a recipe for for a happy and fulfilled well you don't always get the privilege to do that right when you're younger you don't get to be so picky about who you work with right you just need to get paid but but the reward for having a good successful long career is at the end you get to say you know what good work good people that's it that's also a form (laughs) of positioning when when you're in the position that you can can pick right who who you want to work with it's pretty great awesome well thank you very much for being on the show this was really, really useful i will I got a few nuggets on. I want to tweak our positioning on a few few of my businesses as well. Cool. And how can people reach you? Uh, so my website is aprildunford.com and you know you can find all about me there. I'm not super active on a lot of social media except Twitter. And so I'm at April Dunford on Twitter, so you can find me there. Occasionally, like I post something on Instagram about once every three weeks weeks like people have to remind me to post something (laughs) but you can find me i'm at april dunford on all the social networks but i'm not super active so you know you get what you get or people can find you at conferences since you you went to 40 conferences already yeah we were speaking and we were talking earlier but i put the book out um in may and this year i decided I would speak at as many conferences as asked me to speak. I would just say yes. And so this year, yeah, 42, 43, something like that. Yeah, too many. (laughs) Next year, not so much. (laughs) Awesome. 
Well, thank you again for being on the show. I really appreciate it. And yeah, thanks so much for having me. This has been great. And I'll see you very soon at the next conference somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thank you. Well. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the How We Solve podcast. Dominate your market and crush the competition with our step-by-step playbooks. Subscribe right now in your favorite podcast player or visit howwesolve.com.